COVID-19 pandemic has altered nearly every aspect of life in the U.S. and around the world. Every institution is affected, and the church is no exception. Colleges have sent students home, cleared out the classrooms, and are adapting to an online-only world. Churches have, for the most part, closed their doors on Sunday mornings and are struggling with how to maintain the kind of community life that congregants depend upon. Well, Steve, as you know, we are in community. <laughs> we are in person, loving each other, touching one another in very positive ways. So that became a widespread infection of the very tenets and foundation of who we are as people of faith, regardless of our faith traditions or of the Christian aspect. So prospectively in regards to interfaith, many of my colleagues were scrambling on what to do. As we embark upon a series of conversations in which we will attempt to understand how this adaptation is taking place, my guest today is a pastor and leader in Washington, D.C., who had already taken steps to connect people beyond those gathering in the sanctuary. Reverend Dr. Christopher Zacharias joins us to describe how he and his congregation are adapting to offer ministries when the beautiful building his congregation normally gathers in is now off limits. If you're struggling with this challenge also, you'll want to listen in today. I'm your host, Reverend Stephen D. Martin. Reverend Dr. Christopher Zacharias is the pastor of John Wesley AME Zion Church in Washington, D.C. I reached out to Pastor Zacharias because I knew his church took the need to stream services online seriously and had devoted notable resources to this effort. When houses of worship had to shut their doors on Sunday mornings, I knew that Chris already had everything in place to continue serving his parishioners, and in these early days of COVID-19, I felt he was the right person to speak with. Let's listen in on the conversation. Greetings, Pastor Zacharias. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Brother Steve. And yourself? I, 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 I really can't complain, although I do quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, how's the family doing? I mean, we haven't caught up since um, since all this stuff started happening. How's everybody doing? Well, the family is doing well. Everybody is checking in on everybody as much as possible through the various means of text messages or phone calls or emails or FaceTimes or Hangouts. So we're trying to check in on each everybody and, and of course, giving all the advice we think we need to give to others living in different areas. So it's been... Um, it's been quite hectic in that regard and trying not to worry about each other. However, continuing to be prayerful and careful in regards to what we're doing specifically to keep ourselves safe and the family members safe at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I gotta ask, how has your life changed? I mean, can you sum it up in, in a few short words? How's your life changed since all this stuff came down? Swiftly transitioning, swiftly transitioning is what's been happening in regards to personal life, regards to family life, regards to church life, regards to community life, regards to city life, all of it is swiftly transitioning into this modern day new term of the new norm, or what we have talked about in previous conversations of how we're going to have to adjust, adapt, and advance in this present age and the present age coming. 
Now, I want to I want to set the context just a little bit for our listeners. Um, begin with um, just uh, I know you as uh, as as one of uh, DC's most amazing pastors, and uh, and I count counted a real privilege and honor to call you a friend. But you pastor a church that's fairly significant, uh, not only in um, DC's history but in national history, and uh, I just want to hear a little bit about your congregation. Well, the wonderful congregation of John Wesley AME Zion Church, AME Zion standing for African American, African American, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church there in D.C., considered to be the national church of Zion Methodism, uh, simply because we are in the nation's capital, as well as at the time in 1944, we were considered somewhat of a mega church in that time period with over 1,000 to 2,000 members. And we are now 170 plus years old with an aging congregation and senior mindset. So it has been a change in regards to how we are operating and providing ministry approaches to reach all ages in this present age so that everyone can still be felt and met where they are instead of where they come to, which would be a local church or a house of worship. And. And if you would again, just kind of catch us up on. Um, I remember. Um, I can. I. I'm going to start calling. You know, like. Uh, you know, we didn't know what to call 9/11 when it first happened, right? We we still we call, called it September 11th. We called it all kinds of different things, and over time, it it became the uh, it became 9/11. I'm going to refer to this as Friday the 13th. Uh-huh. And here's the thing. Um, I, Friday the 13th is the, one of the luckiest days of my life because that's the day that my triplets were born. They were born. Uh, on Friday, March 13th, 1998. So I've always marked Friday the 13th as a special day. This one was not so special. Um, I remember on on Thursday the 12th, uh, everything just came tumbling down in a cascade. Uh, Suddenly, we were, uh, we we came into the office that morning kind of... knowing that things were were changing rapidly but i think by the by the end of the day or even the middle of the day we didn't really understand just how much it had changed and then uh i i left uh thursday afternoon um actually early friday morning to drive to tennessee to celebrate my uh my kids birthdays um and and um and and just was really in a in a shock about it all um I, I guess I still am. Um, uh, tell me the story about how things happened for you that week. Very similar to yours, Steve. And, and of course, as we well know, that Friday the 13th considers to be a bad omen in the culture. And I even lifted that up during conversations with fellow colleagues as well as fellow church members in that regard. But it changed significantly not so much in what I had to do for the local church for which I pastor, but it changed significantly for me because being on the mayor's interfaith council here in DC under Mayor Bowser, I became more of a staff person than just a volunteer. The the amount of phone calls, text messages, teleconference calls, being in particular locations, being requested to be at press conferences in support of Mayor Bowser and and her administration really heightened so much so that it really lessened what I could try to do 
at the local church level, even on the Washington district level of 12 plus churches, and even for the conference. So that really became hectic on how to balance all of this when you're involved in so many, when I am involved in so many uh, interfaith and ecumenical groups and religious groups and community groups within the city and the Northwest sector of DC, that became a sincere, serious, chaotic moment. Right. <laughs> well, wasn't a chaos. Uh, uh, it was just a chaos moment of how do I balance all of this at the same time while making sure that all things are well on every level for which I have the opportunity and privilege uh, to, to traffic in. So I'm especially interested in your take on the. Uh, I'm I'm interested in all this, man. Um, but but the thing you you bring up the the interfaith piece, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're not just looking at at what happened across Washington D.C. from the standpoint of your church and your local parish, but but really had kind of a, a view of what was happening across all faith groups uh, during those days. Um, how did you, if you could describe it, how did you see um, uh, the clergy of different faith groups struggling with um, these closures and this sudden need to try to figure out how to do uh, communal worship when you couldn't be in community anymore. Well, Steve, as you know, we are in community. <laughs> we are in person, loving each other, touching one another in very positive ways. So that became a widespread infection of the very tenets and foundation of who we are as people of faith, regardless of our faith traditions or of the Christian aspect. So prospectively, in regards to interfaith, many of my colleagues were scrambling on what to do. Although at the same time, they knew safety was being first and foremost in their mindsets. So as they scrambled to talk with their leaders and talk with the leaders above them in any particular hierarchy system, they wanted to try to do what was best safety-wise, while at the same time trying to handle the immediate fear as if hail was coming down from the heavens all of a sudden and mm-hmm. now the and lightning bolts are flashing. So in that invisible sense of fear, gripping colleagues and parishioners and members and people of God, period, uh, that became another barrier that uh, faith leaders had to deal with. Yeah. Go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. So we had to try to come together to get ourselves centered in our own particular faith traditions to be able to have a level head, as well as a spiritual mindset to use the godly wisdom from our faith traditions to be able to handle what is what is happening and what has happened. I've thought a lot about my Muslim brothers and sisters during this thing, and and um, I, I, we're kind of talking on the theo, uh, theological, theological and theoretical level right now. But I think we could we could probably go. I, I'm I'm going to throw at you some some uh, what you saw happening and how you saw this unfolding. But um, in in uh, in Islam, of course, Friday is the is the 
key day of prayer. It's an obligation uh, for Muslims, and um, and that's you know when everything started moving. And I would I would imagine that was at the time that it was probably most uncertain as to what to do. Um, you get a few days later, it's clear what to do. But but on that Friday, it might have been a little bit more difficult. But the but the other thing is that 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 uh, that Muslim prayer requires you to to stand in a line shoulder to shoulder, mm-hmm. um, physically touching the person next to you. That that's a that's a part of it. That's, that's a prescription. That's a requirement. And um, did you did you did you think about that? Did you have any um, contact with anyone who was struggling with this, or have you seen uh, how the Muslim community has uh, dealt with this in the last uh, last few days or the last few, couple of weeks? Yes, in many ways. I mean, because for them at first, it was like, okay, let's continue to have and practice our Islamic faith in the same traditions we always has, because that's immediate response is to come together, is to have the hands held and hands held high and being in close proximity with one another to draw unity as the oneness for them uh, with Allah. So that became an immediate reaction, faith reaction for them. But at the same time, as they began to learn that that was not the best practice, then they had to quickly change their mindset and change their spiritual practices. And that has become pretty difficult because now we're changing our spiritual habits into good spiritual (laughs) medical practices and social distancing, which can be hard to break. So as they have struggled to make the turtle shift, many of them have done so very quickly. Some were a little slow in doing it because he was just trying to come to grips on what was happening and to make sure they were having all the facts to be able to best address how they were going to continue to practice their faith. So many of them at this time are doing pre-recordings and being able to share those out towards uh, their fellow Islamic brothers and sisters. And then at the same time, practice their uh, prayers towards Allah normally where they are because as you well know you can do it anywhere in any particular location that they're in as long as turning towards 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 Mecca right and and one thing that has always impressed me about Islam is that there's a there's a certain practicality written into the to the um, to the the rules, the laws of the of the faith, so uh, if you will, um, uh, there's a kind of a leniency. Like in, if you uh, if you're traveling during Ramadan, it's okay to not fast. It's uh, you know it's better to to uh, to go ahead and eat while you're traveling, but then catch up later. You know, and and, and things like that. A certain kind of practicality that I th- you know I wonder if we Christians do so well in that regard um, sometimes. And um, uh, I was very interested in the conversations around. On the closing of the um, uh, the national cathedral, uh, for one, and and then other Episcopal churches, who uh, the prescribed practice was to withhold the wine during mm-hmm. the sacrament, and I'm and I'm just I don't need you to you don't necessarily need to feel like you need to comment comment on every tradition out there, but but I'm I'm thinking about things like that and and maybe zero this in on your experience and and what you had to do, what kinds of decisions you had to make uh, regarding how you would uh, carry forth in. In, uh, worship with your congregation. In the great accolades to the Naples Cathedral, they did what was best and they helped share a model to follow after. And of course, with the National Cathedral, they have so much traffic, P- 
public traffic going in and out of that location for the particular outreaches, for the particular serenity and prayers for persons who want to come into their uh, that cathedral to center themselves and feel like they're in the house of refuge. For us and myself in the Christian sect, we just had to make a change because not always as our doors open Monday through Sunday. And many Christian churches are only primarily open on certain days or certain hours of particular days of the week. But the decisions for me at this time, although nerve wracking, had to come through a physical, a spiritual peace of mind to let God lead and speak openly and honestly with ministry leaders and ministry members and members of the church to say, hey, here's what we have to look to do and then try to broad stroke it to try to answer questions of members before those questions were even asked so that we already had answers in regards to what we were going to do day in, day out, week and Sunday after Sunday. And so what has, um, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you as one of the first guests on this, uh, kind of revived, renewed podcast, uh, around this, uh, situation we're in one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you directly is because or at first was because um you've done such a great job of um uh, and, and really an exemplary job of of uh, live streaming your services uh and you've been doing it for several years now as far as i can tell mm-hmm. um yeah and and uh and now you know again this is a this is a moment where um maybe some churches some congregations were doing it and they were kind of seeing it as a well this is this is something kind of fun and easy we can do it'll maybe uh connect the the shut-ins a little bit better maybe it'll uh give uh people a chance to preview the church services before they uh feel bring up the courage to walk in the door that kind of things like that but now it's a necessity now it's 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 go time it is uh it is the way we are going to be doing church um for the foreseeable future, and I wondered if you've had any con- uh, any reflections on that. Man, honestly, it was a must, and to feel the Great Commission, of course, to go ye therefore to make disciples, we had to go from place to place, location to location, as Jesus and the apostles did. Now we're able to do it across the world through the internet and many other technologies in that platform. So it it gave us an opportunity as churches who are utilizing live stream and other technology platforms to get the message out of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the ministries being offered to several houses of faith, uh, Christian houses of faith. So for us, we've had to begin to already see down the line and then try to reach what was seemingly impossible to make that possible. So the reflections for me at this time is how do we continue to adjust and adapt so that the message of God can advance and do so in a way that's going to meet every age group and possibly meet uh, other groups and ethnicities that may be attracted or can become attracted to the gospel message is coming out of the John Wesley AME Zion Church. It has been difficult to do it live stream wise with the continual restrictions coming down the pike from the city and from Mayor Bowser to now that we're able to have 10 people uh, at the Mm. worship service to be create a small group. So that 
prohibits, of course, the most vulnerable of being 60 and up. And we put that in place as a policy for John Wesley at this point, uh, that none of those who are over 60 and none of those who have particular health problems, respiratory problems, were allowed to come into the church. And many of those were the consistent comers and attendants within John Wesley. So that hurt in that aspect. And then, of course, with the challenge at John Wesley that many of our musicians were in that age range and had those concerns. So it wouldn't be right for me to request of them, knowing the medical uh, history for them and those concerns, nor to say, hey, you have to be here because we know that the ministry must go forward in our live stream efforts. So we're using not only live stream, but using conference calls and many other mechanisms, calling posts to get the messages out through text messages and and phone calls and asking for our class leaders, which are sub-pastors per se, of laypersons, to ensure that we're calling all of our seniors and members on a day-to-day basis to check in to see about their well-being and to see how the church can continue to offer ministry where they are as it relates to groceries or supplies or drive-by prayers and things of that nature to be able to continue to stay connected, not so so in, uh, in-faced or face-to-face, but even as Bishop Moore has become the theme for our mid-Atlantic area and has become the theme for John Wesley, is to be the church even though we're not in the church. I mean, it's it's really... I, 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 there's a side of this that I just find uh, it's terrifying, for one. But on the other hand, it's also exhilarating and exciting because I think that uh, you and I both know that the church is the, like the slowest uh, ship to turn in the in the world. You know, we we hang on to things uh, longer than anybody else. When everybody everybody else is giving up something and seen as old fashioned, we hold on to it. And we keep it going as long as we can. And this is um, this is one of those moments in history, and um, and maybe it's a it's a unique moment in history where we are. Um, uh, we've been kind of seeing the change coming for a long time, but now we have to do it. In other words, we've been looking at a population that is not so interested in coming to church on Sunday morning anymore, and we find it harder and harder to reach them, and now they can't come. Now nobody can come. Um, and that is 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 moving us out in a way that we... Um, maybe needed to do all along. Uh, does that does that make any sense to you? Do, do you have any comments about that, or what it, do you it think? Does. It does, Steve. It really does. It's, it's what's known as that Kairos moment. It's that moment that you cannot really recapture or relive, but if you catch it, you can be transformed in it, and maybe at this time as God is allowing this to occur, definitely not authorizing it, but allowing it to occur and to utilize it for his purpose, for the church to get out of the walls, because as we remember, even in Acts 8 and 1, pain afflicted the apostles for them to begin to spread out from Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And yes, you're correct. The church can be like a barge where it's slow in its turning and not letting go. So we are living in a modern day time where the church is going to live or 
die per se as it's building, but not within the church being within our hearts. So it's pushing us and forcing us to begin to think creatively and uniquely in how we're going to operate in this day and time and in the future. Because as you and I had talked before, if this becomes the very norm and to reach the norm in society where they're not coming into the four walls of a local church, then we have to reach them where they are on their iPads, iTunes, every aspect that we can so they can still feel connected and hear the gospel, changing gospel, uh, the transforming message of Jesus Christ in and through that gospel. So it is a real, live, reflective, can we and we shall have to fulfill the Great Commission in a way to meet this present age. I'm reminded of a metaphor. Uh, stay with me. Uh, uh, nobody puts new wine in old wineskins. Have you ever heard that one before? Oh, you know we have. <laughs> you know I have. <laughs> um, wow. Well, this is really, uh, this is the kind of rich conversation I was hoping to have. Um I want to um, I want to ask you a big one. Where do you see all this going uh, in the intermediate term, maybe in the long term? We may be right here. We may be right here as the immediate and the long term. We're praying, of course, that this COVID nineteen will be controlled and have uh, medicine that can be to treat it like any other particular illness and or disease. Uh, so that the frightness and the fear can subside some. But in the same sense, the churches and myself have to continue to reinvent itself as the pastor, as a ministry leader, and as a church to continue to be relevant to meet this present day and present coming coming times, because right now we do not know when the end is. What? Isaiah reminds us, they that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength and mount up like wings of the eagles so that they may run and not get weary and walk and not faint. So here we are waiting on God to hear specific direction while we are transitioning into a church that is mobile and can go everywhere at the same time while also having a physical presence. And the problem becomes now with the physical building. And then I want to turn to um, uh, people we have to always be uh, mindful of, and that's the the people that are most vulnerable in our society. Um, uh, what do you think? Um, what do you think that 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 we are seeing uh, as the church's ministry to the imprisoned, to the poor? Um, how is this crisis changing that and making bringing maybe bringing that more into uh, closer focus. That's the whole focus. It's always been the focus. But Jesus has says, what you've done unto me, you've done unto the least of these. And it reminds us that we have to specifically be intentional in how we reach out to the prisoners, how we reach out to the poor, how we reach out to our seniors, and causes us to do a better job in that. How that's going to play out is really up to us, as well as the best practices to do so, because the jail cells, as you know, are being filled and affected with, this, with the viruses. The homeless shelters, the homeless on the street, how do you deal with them who may be already infected? And uh, William Barber is doing an outstanding job to say, hey, 
this crisis has already been out there because we have not put in places the structures and the system to help the most vulnerable, to help the least, to, de- to help the poor. Because if you don't have the insurances to be able to get and see the doctors, you're already infected. You're already pushed aside. So those are things that the church, as well as the states and the relevant cities and governments and nonprofit organizations, have to focus in on so that these particular most vulnerable can can feel most loved, most welcomed, and most uh, looked after. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're coming to kind of the end of our time together, and uh, I really, really appreciate this. Um, uh, how can how can people do, do you have an online presence? Do you have a website or anything, or uh, can you share the church's uh, contact information website and so on with us? Sure. Thank you for that. It's John Wesley Amy Zion Church, sixteen fifteen Fourteenth Street Northwest. Washington, D.C., 2009. You can reach us by phone at 202-667-3824. But our web presence not only is John Wesley Facebook Live, but www.wjwdc.org, wjwdc.org. You can also hit us in Twitter, on Instagram. We're trying to hit every particular market that we can. In fact, now we have a new John Wesley podcast that has just started this past week. It's John Wesley and Design Church podcast on the Podbean uh, podcast platform. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, uh, Pastor, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank uh, and, and I may uh, call you up soon and check in with you again uh, to see how things are developing. I, I think Please. this is a really good discussion. Please do. I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you in this particular important discussion and I pray that it continues to enlarge and that those who come on the call will be enriched and enlightened by what has been discussed on today and future podcasts. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. This crisis is going to be with us for a while, it seems. It's a crisis that threatens lives across every part of our society. It will force us to reconsider many of our most treasured institutions. And each week, I hope to check in with those who have their fingers on the pulse. This is a watershed moment for all of us, and I'm hopeful that our churches will be part of the creativity that is possible during times like these. What do you think? Connect with us on social media and let us know. We hope these podcasts are beneficial to you. If you have any suggestions, ways we can improve our podcast, new guests we should have on, and so on, please write these suggestions on our Facebook page or tweet us at NCCCUSA. Yes, that's three C's. We will do our best to include these as we plan new episodes. We're now live on iHeartRadio as well as Stitcher and iTunes. And you can really help us by leaving a review at the iTunes store. We also appreciate the occasional share on social media. Please come back and listen next week for another thoughtful, provocative conversation with America's top faith and thought leaders. I'm your host, Reverend Stephen D. Martin.